0: Hey Junior here, thanks for hitting play. Do you have any prayer requests that God hasn't answered yet? That can be pretty frustrating. Let's talk about it. So I just want to jump into the deep end, like right off the bat, with a heavy question. You ever go through something, something difficult, and after a while of being in that difficulty, you begin to wonder if God cares. You know, because it seems like your prayers just they're not going past the ceiling. But God, I've been praying for this for some time. Nothing's changing. It's like every Tuesday at 10:30, our staff. Across all campuses and camp, we gather at one of our locations and we pour over prayer requests from our Connect cards. So if some of you filled out prayer requests early, and we're going to pray for those on Tuesday. But every Tuesday, you just notice as we pray over these, like there's some real, raw requests. A couples who want nothing more than to conceive. You know, it feels like hope and dreams, even identity is, is like on the line. Or parents praying for kids who are ruining their lives. We pray for kids who are terminally ill. It's like it's request after request after request. And and we've been praying for some of these requests for months. Some of these requests we've been praying for years. What gives? And then to add to that, it's it's really hard to see God answer prayer requests for others and not yours. Isn't it? Like, let's just be real. Here we are. We walk into church and there's like something heavy on your heart, this unanswered prayer request. And it's like weighing you down. And then you go to a small group, and you sit next to someone, and they go, oh, I just got to tell you, I, I've been praying for a raise, and I got it. And you're like, oh, yay, and then you kind of fake it. But then you walk away, and you go, like, that's what you're going to answer, God? Like, pretty sure she doesn't even tithe either. Like, here I am pouring my heart out. Like, I'm hurting, and, and Susie over here is celebrating her. Like, are you hearing me? Do you care? This is one of the top reasons people walk away from God. I was watching a show the other night with my wife, and the show's about this, this man who lost his, his wife to cancer, and his nephew, there's a scene where his nephew approaches him and says, why didn't Jesus save your wife? Why didn't Jesus do anything? And basically, he says back to his nephew, he goes, because Jesus is a jerk. And it seems wrong to say that in church, but the fact of the matter is that is reality for a lot of people. just walked away from God because here I am pouring my heart out. I care about this and you're not answering. And, And maybe you've never felt that extreme of the feeling, but you've been in the arena. You felt those feelings where it's just hard not to get frustrated with God because here I am pouring my heart out. I'm really hurting and I'm not hearing anything back. You ever feel that? In today's text... This all goes down, and Jesus forces us to just wrestle with this, and so we're going to do that today. John chapter 11 is where we find ourselves. John chapter 11, really curious grab a Bible, Bibles in the chairs, This page 897 in those Bibles. Otherwise, phones, tablets, we have the Bridge app, you can take notes on there as well as have, have the Bible. You'll see in your notes, if you, if you have notes in front of you, we have a lot on the agenda today. There's two different outlines, which is very different for us, two different outlines, and the reason is, is there's two threads that are woven throughout this text. And we're going to pull on both of those threads. One of those threads is the theological outline. Just kind of like, all right, this is how we get to know God better. And we see God more in this text. The second outline is, is okay, and then how do we respond? It's more application. How do we respond? As we get to know God better, okay, how do we respond to God? And so we're going to pull on both of those threads in those texts. We have a lot ahead of us, a lot of verses, a lot of notes. We need help, so let me pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, I thank you for your, your word. I thank you that you are a God who, who listens, and you are a God who cares, even though sometimes it feels like that's not true. And God, I thank you for what you're going to show us in your word today. Uh, please speak to us. We are listening. And may you remind us just the, the weight and the seriousness of what we're doing right now. Probably the most important thing we're gonna do this week is gather together with brothers and sisters and hear from Dad. And so may you remind us of the weight of this. May we take this very seriously as we hear from you. We thank you for your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as we enter into John 11, or Jordan made fun of me last week for saying as the lens of scripture zooms in, so I'm just gonna keep on saying that just to just to bug him and stay on his nerves. So. As we enter into John chapter 11, we find ourselves in a room, a bead of sweat runs down his forehead as his body shivers from a burst of chills. See, For the last week, he hasn't left bed, his body is weakening, muscle atrophy, his lips are chapped, dark circles around his eyes. His sister wipes the bead of sweat with a damp cloth and rubs his head, See, it's her shift right now. In an hour, her sister will come in and take the next shift. The shift looks like just changing bedding, trying to get him to eat or or drink. At least sit next to him and let him know he's just not alone. But this is draining, just staring at him like this, this overwhelming feeling of of helplessness. It's then the front door opens and her sister Martha, in typical Martha fashion, shows up early carrying fresh linens and a jar of water and, and some bread. Mary stays sitting next to her brother and says, Martha, he seems to be getting worse. I think it's time we send word to Jesus. Only Jesus can fix this at this point. And this is where we find ourselves in the text. Verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Okay, Bethany was was or is was a suburb of Jerusalem, a little town on the Mount of Olives. When Jesus would come to Jerusalem to go to the temple, he would often stay in Bethany with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were good friends, and they would put Jesus and his disciples up when he would come. So Lazarus is, is sick, laying in bed in Bethany. Jesus is likely in the area of Batania up north. There's a few big synagogues in this area. If you've ever heard of the town of uh, Gamla, that's like a big city um, it, Read through history, um, that Gamla would be in this, uh, in this area of, of Batania. When I was in Israel last month, uh, my friend, who's an archaeologist, took Jordan and I to a newly discovered synagogue in this area from Jesus' time. A, a farmer had found it out in a field just a few months ago. It's like a, a big synagogue. Um, found just a few months ago It'll be a big site one day. And so he let us like dig around. We found some broken pottery in the mud and pieces of roof and, and mosaic pieces. Like I was on cloud nine. I love that kind of stuff. But this this big synagogue is in Batania. So this is, this is maybe where Jesus was when he got the message about his friend Lazarus, um, who's down south. So, so his friend Lazarus is down in Bethany in the south. Jesus is up in the north. Jesus hears word that Lazarus is sick. Jesus, if you want to make it in time, you've got to leave now. This is about a two-day's... Worth of travel, so Jesus, if you if you want to heal him, you've got to get going like right now. So his sisters send word. Skip to verse four. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So much right there. And it's a tough pill to swallow, so let's unpack this a little bit. Understand what's going on here. Lazarus is sick. His his sisters Mary and Martha have been up into the late hours of the night. They're stressing out, like this is serious, this is painful, this is hard. And you might know exactly what it's like to, to the, the toll that this can take on, on a person to take care of someone, someone that you love, watching someone suffer and there's nothing you can do. So this is killing them. And Jesus up in the north says, well, It is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through this. Well, this doesn't sit well, Jesus. It seems very insensitive. But maybe there's something here, and heads up, this is not going to taste good, but but Jesus is taking us here, so, so we have to go here. This means, can mean, that sometimes our suffering can glorify God. And I know, at first, it seems like a jacked up thought, that is messed up, like, Junior, you're telling me that my parent is sick because it glorifies God. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. This isn't true across the board when it comes to all suffering. call this the theology of suffering. This isn't true across the board with all suffering. But Jesus says sometimes this is true. Now, when we sit in this and kind of marinate in this idea for a second, for me, after I sit in this a while, and maybe this is just me, but if I'm going through something very difficult, maybe a health issue or struggling through something, The idea of God redeeming my pain for his glory and his purpose, for me, it makes it a little better. There's purpose in this. I don't know what that purpose is, but God is using my pain. And considering the idea that God went through hell for me, my pain is a small gift that I can give back, okay, and bring it on them. Now, I want to be careful. This is not saying that every time a bad thing happens, God is glorified in it. It's like a child dies, or an earthquake levels a village. Like That happens to bring glory to God. Some people say that. I'm not saying that. And Jesus is not saying that. This is a broken world that, is, that sin has laid waste to. We live in brokenness until Jesus returns. Come, Lord Jesus. But in this specific story, Jesus says, "Lazarus's pain... Specifically, his pain is on purpose. God is going to do something with it. He's going to bring more people to Jesus because of Lazarus's pain. And I've seen friends live this out. Now, there's a lady at the bridge who died of cancer a couple of years ago. And during chemo, she was getting chemo, she would be witnessing, bringing the hope of Jesus to those that she was sitting by. Like she would evangelize whole wards. Now, I'm not saying that's why she got cancer. I'm just saying God gave purpose to her pain, and that changes everything. Or think of it this way. Some, uh, you moms in here, you'll say that childbirth was like the worst like, pain ever, right? But you did it again. Why? You moms in here will say because there's a child. There's purpose. You did it for your family. If there was no baby at, you know, at the end, like well, what's the point of all that pain? But the purpose and the pain changes things. That's what Jesus is getting at here, but he's, he's getting to more. So we're just, we're just starting to unpack this. Verse 5. I love what John writes. He writes. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So I love how that John writes that because he's like, okay. So Jesus just sounded insensitive, but just let me remind you, he loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But meanwhile, back in Bethany, Lazarus is still laying in bed. He's skinnier than he's ever been. What's more concerning is that his breathing is changing, like like he's struggling. There's a a rattle as he breathes. They've heard this is serious. He's nearing the end. But you know Mary and Martha, they're trying to keep their spirits up. You know, hey, Jesus is coming. We sent for Jesus. Jesus will come. Jesus will be here in time. Surely Jesus will be here soon. But look at verse 6. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, look at this. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus, every hour that you're here is an hour longer that Lazarus suffers. Plus, come on, Jesus, you healed a Gentile servant without seeing him. Why can't you just heal him from Batania? You can do that. You love Lazarus. You said so yourself. Why aren't you doing anything? And you know the feeling. You've been praying for that thing. And you know that thing. It's to meet someone to conceive, to find that job, to feel better, to fix that marriage issue. And it's like he's just kind of stuck up there somewhere, just preoccupied with answering everybody else's requests. That's what it feels like here. He stayed two days longer. And this gives us a theology, one that we don't like, but we don't get to pick our theology. It's a theology nonetheless. It's just true, and that is, number one, sometimes God delays on purpose. Sometimes he delays on purpose, and it never feels good. It prolongs the pain. It rarely makes sense. But the reality is sometimes God hears your request, he sees your need, and he stays two days longer. He's doing it with his best friend. Two days longer. Now for some of us, it's been two years. I've been praying for this thing for two years. For two decades. Why? Why is he delaying? I don't know. Initially, when I was studying for this, I had like five minutes carved out here to talk about possible reasons why God delays. Maybe he's delaying, you know, because of this, or maybe maybe for this reason. You know, he's not answering you, or he, he's asking you to wait maybe because of this. You know, here's a possible reason that God, is, that God is delaying. I just scratched those thoughts. It felt wrong. Like me standing up here trying to make sense of your pain as if I know the deep hurt that you're going through, and then to have the audacity to then stand up here and then like... Give a reason, God's reason, as if I know. I can't do that. Why does God delay? I don't know. Many different reasons. And they're all his. They're not ours. Like his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than ours. This is not a fun theology to run into, but, but, but it's just true. Sometimes God delays on purpose. And we're seeing it here. But there's more. days. Passed by verse seven, and he said to his disciples, "After two days, let us go back to Judea." Now that's where Bethany is. So uh, Judea is uh, southern Israel, Galilee is northern Israel, and uh, and so he said, "Let's go back down south." And you can see in verse eight, the disciples don't want to go back. They don't want to go there. They're like Jesus. Not sure if you remember this, but last time we were there, they tried to stone you, and we don't know if you know this or not. But when they throw stones at you, sometimes they miss and hit us. So, we don't, we don't want to go back. Verse 11, Jesus says, Well, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there and wake him up. And this is so good. His disciples reply, because they don't want to go. So they reply, Well, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. There like, were no doctors, but like if he's sleeping, heck, we had that condition last night. We're okay. We woke up. Just sleeping, he'll get better. It's always bold to give God medical advice. This has to be Peter. <laughs> Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And look at verses 14 and 15. You thought that Jesus was insensitive before. Look at verses 14 and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Hold on. Jesus, stop for a second. You knew your best friend who you love You knew he was going to die. Yeah. And you let him suffer for days while you hung out up here. Yeah. And you let his sisters worry and nurse their brother until he died. Yeah. You know they're down south weeping and mourning right now. They're angry with you probably. I know. See, for some of us, this really wrecks our theology. For some of us, it really wrecks our whole concept of Jesus. The popular belief of Jesus is that like Jesus is some nice guy. You know, he's like a Ryan Gosling kind of guy, just super, super nice. And the Father you know, up in heaven, he's like some genie just wanting to grant everybody's wishes and make all your wildest dreams come true. And then you read this and you go, oh, this doesn't seem right. This seems wrong. Lazarus is dead. And then Thomas speaks up. You know, there's always that one person who, in, in, like, your group of friends who's always depressing. You know what I'm talking about? There's always, like, that Eeyore of the office, you know, or the Eeyore of the family. Maybe you married an Eeyore, or maybe you are an Eeyore. Like, everything's bad. Nobody does anything right. Everything's wrong. Like, Jesus had one of that in his group, because look at this, verse 16. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> Lazarus is dead. People are going to stone Jesus and then, us. Uh, so might as well go have a massive funeral. Let's just go die. This is great. You should read your Bible. It's fascinating. It's so good. <laughs> Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, if you write in your Bible, uh, highlight or underline or circle four days. This little detail is important. We re- right past it, but it is an important detail. During this time, it was common thought, not biblical thought. This is just common thought, common ancient thought. That once somebody died, their spirit would hover over their body for three days. Then as the body deteriorates, the face begins to become unrecognizable around day three. And so according to ancient folklore, the spirit, when it would no longer recognize its own face, then realizes, I can't inhabit that body anymore. And then the spirit leaves. This is why John writes four days later. Four days later, there's no hope. Even in their superstitious thinking, there's no hope. This guy's completely gone. It's been four days. And so the sisters sit inside, weeping. They called for Jesus. They had hoped that he would come and remove the suffering, keep their brother from death. Yet Jesus never showed. Jesus didn't even come to the funeral. And Jesus said it wouldn't end in death. Like, there's no way of making sense of any of this. And so there they sit, hurting and confused, unsure of what to do with their whole view of God. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Like He's just, he's not showing. Verse 20, when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Now I realize I'm just speculating, but why do you think Mary stayed home? I think she's upset. I think she's mad, actually. Never came to the aid of his friend. Never even came to the funeral. Jesus heals strangers. Jesus heals Gentiles seems like Jesus loves all of them more than us. So I'm staying here. Meanwhile, Martha runs out to him. Now, if I were Jesus and I saw Martha running toward me, I'd brace myself. You have an emotional person who just experienced a loss and it's partly my fault, maybe. It's like, wait for it. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give. You can see some tension in, even in her, right? She's struggling here. Now Mary hasn't lost her confidence in God. Oh, she's hurting. She's struggling not to feel anger. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You can see her struggling. But she refuses to lose her confidence in God. You can see why they're friends. It's a very special heart. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection of the last day. So she's like, listen, I, I know the theology. I know he'll rise again in the last day. I, I, know you're, I know you're trying to make me feel better. I don't really need a theology lesson right now. And then Jesus looks at her in the eye, verse 25, and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, do you trust me? Even though I didn't answer your request, even though I'm four days too late, even though I, 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 I seem very insensitive, do you still trust me? And I wonder if Jesus is saying the same thing to you. Do you trust me? Well, Mary ends up coming out says the same thing. You know, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Skip to verse 34, though. Jesus asks, where have you laid him? And they said, come and and see, Lord. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, the shortest verse in the English Bible, in the Greek it's not, but in the English it is. It's just, Jesus wept. Why? Now, spoiler alert, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. You're like, whoa. Yeah, it's going to happen soon. So why weep? Why? If you know you're going to raise him, why weep? And there's so much power in the why. It gives us another theology. Yes, sometimes God delays on purpose, but his delay doesn't mean that he's distant. His delay doesn't mean that he doesn't care. Oh, we're tempted to think he doesn't care. I think Mary thought that when she stayed inside as Jesus came. Four days late, he doesn't care. And some of us wrestle with the same thing. It's another week without a callback. I don't think he cares about my unemployment. It's another week with a setback of my health. It's another week of getting bad news from the doctor. It's another year single. It's another negative pregnancy test. It's another night of depression. And it's very easy in those moments to think, he just doesn't care. But what if he weeps with you? Oh, he knows the reason. He knows the ending. He knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's doing. Yet still, for some reason, he enters your pain and feels it with you and walks with you and hurts with you. His delay doesn't mean that he's distant. Jesus wept. Beautiful verse. Shows you the heart of Breaks down, weeps. Verse 36, and the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Why didn't he do something? If he cares so much, look at him weeping. If he cares so much, why didn't he do something? He could have healed him. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. If you've been to Jerusalem, or if you're coming with me in November, you'll, you'll see... All around Jerusalem are these uh, caves that are hewn out of the rock. It's actually kind of funny because you have like modern houses now built, uh, built above them. But um, these caves that are hewn out of the rock, and then they would have put a, a stone in front. Um, we're not sure which one Lazarus is, but it would have looked something like this. Verse 39, Jesus says, Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. And giving God biology lessons is very bold. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading into this next phrase, but, but it, it seems like she's kind of twisting the knife here. Like, for he has been in there for four days. Oh, oh you thought we, we just put him in? No, no, no. We just put him in there. It's been four days. The funeral, which, which you missed, was four days ago. And then Jesus looks at Martha. Not angry, just matter of fact. He says to Martha, and I wonder if he says this to you. Verse 40. Did I not tell you if if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I know it doesn't make sense to you. I know you're wrestling and having times of doubt and anger. I get it. But if you trust me, trust me enough to remain obedient, you will see the glory of God. I know you don't fully know what that means. I know you don't know what that looks like, but but trust me in the pain. See, this is what this, this is all about here. This is what's repeated. Jesus keeps on saying that you may believe. I want you to trust me. Believe. In fact, he repeats it in his prayer in verse 42. He says that they may believe. This is what this is all about. Wrestling through the pain and the doubt as God is delaying. Wrestling through the pain and the doubt to trust and see God. And it gives us our our third theology. This is a little confusing, but, but this is absolutely huge. And that is spiritual over the physical. Spiritual over the physical. Here's what I mean by this. Jesus keeps repeating over and over and over and over there's something more important than fulfilling this physical need, healing Lazarus. And if we were there to be like, whoa, hold on, Jesus, what can be more pressing than a man on his deathbed, your best friend on his deathbed? What can be more pressing than that? And Jesus would say, them understanding something spiritually, that's what's more important. Trusting God, leaning into God, that matters more, the spiritual lesson in this. The spiritual need was far more important to Jesus. Than the glaring physical need. See, something we have to remember is that Jesus' miracles, though real and powerful, they were physical signs that pointed to the spiritual, and they were temporary. Because Lazarus died again. Like, he's not walking around Israel today going, Buh, I can't die. Like Jesus raised me, I just can't die. Like, no, he died again. There was another funeral. Jesus' miracle was temporary that pointed to the spiritually permanent. This is why Jesus keeps repeating over and over and over. I, I want you to believe. Do you trust me? I want you to grow spiritually more than we need to heal Lazarus physically. You think about it today with our prayers. Like if I don't, but if I had like this, this list of prayers that you prayed this last week, even for myself, so I'm preaching myself here too, a lot of those prayers would be physical prayers, right? surgeries, health issues. And I'm not saying that's bad. Let your requests be known to God. He cares about them. But what Jesus is communicating here is the spiritual means more. And as we pray for the the physical, Jesus is saying, you should also pray for the spiritual here. God, what are you trying to teach me through this? What what do I need to do through this? What, What are you trying to show me through this? The trusting, the leaning into God, the seeing who God is, is far more important than answering the physical request. And I know that hurts. I know there's a lot of pain attached to that, but that's here in the text. Physical healings are temporary, but spiritual healings are eternal. And that's the perspective that Jesus is trying to give these people and us through this text. But he's willing to do physical healings as well. Verse 43, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. You picture this. You know the crowd's freaking out, right? Like we would be. If, if we were doing a funeral right now and a guy just sat up in his coffin, we would all bolt out those doors. I would beat you all out those doors. Like, There's no way I'm sticking around for that. That's why I think Jesus says like, later on, everyone's like backing up, they're like freaking out. He's like, take the great clothes off and let him go. And it's this that terrifies religious leaders, this power right here. Because now Lazarus is walking proof. They can't dispute this miracle. In fact, it's funny, in the next chapter, um, the religious leaders, they want to kill Lazarus because Lazarus is walking evidence of the power of Jesus. And so the religious leaders, they get together and they try to plan how to kill Lazarus and get rid of the evidence. And I just imagine Lazarus hearing word of this and just laughing. Oh, they want to put me to death? Been there, done that. This <laughs> doesn't scare me anymore. <laughs> like, Bring it on. And so begins the plan for crucifixion. So, what do we do with this? It's a fun story. Like, maybe, maybe if you went to church when you were a kid, you may have heard this story. It's like a popular kid. It's such a good story. And the theology in it, though tough to swallow, it's very, very helpful. But what do we do with this? Because we know what it's like to be on the other end of this. We know what it's like to be Mary or Martha. Going through this pain, feeling like Jesus isn't helping. Maybe you even know what it's like to be like Lazarus and you're going through extreme physical pain and your requests seem to not even be going past the ceiling. Like what do we do when God is delayed? What do we do when our request is unfulfilled? When we feel that frustration that we've all felt, if we're to be honest, that we've all felt with God because it seems like he doesn't care. Well, three things to do and we get it from this text. First is appeal. Appeal. Keep on appealing. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, keep asking, keep asking. Now, this doesn't mean that the more you appeal, the quicker you get of an answer. Because maybe God is saying no, which, by the way, is still an answered prayer. I always kind of like laugh a little bit when people say, well, God hasn't answered my prayer, when it's obviously no. You know, like my kids, Like if they were to ask me for something and I say no, they can't go to their mom and say, well, Dad didn't answer my question. No, it, it, the answer was no. So sometimes no is an answer. But regardless, keep asking. Keep asking. See, prayer is... Prayer is all about aligning our will with God's. Our will is broken. My will's broken. There's stuff that I want that's just not good for me. So, prayer is this realigning my will with God's. So, if there's something that we want and don't have, through prayer we go to God, and God will either grant that or he will change our will, realign our will, and give us peace about not having it. For example, this was Jesus the night before he went to the cross. Uh, Jesus, in prayer, he said, Father, if it be your will, let's do something else, not the cross. And God said, no, my will is that you be crushed. And so Jesus spent the night realigning his will with the Father, and then the next day embraced the cross. See, that's what prayer is. Often we have this misconception of prayer, this selfish approach with prayer. I'm just going to go to God with my list of things that I want, and hopefully we can take off all of those. No, no, no. Prayer is... Prayer is far more than that. Prayer is this exchanging of wishes. Okay, God, this is what I want. W- what do you want? Please. I want this, but, but I surrender it to you. Ultimately, what you want is better. I recognize that. And some of us have stopped appealing because we haven't gotten what we want. No, no, no. There's more work to be done. Work to be done in you. So keep appealing. If he's saying no... He'll change your heart. Over time, he'll give you peace. But if there's something on your heart, go to, go to the Father. He's your dad. He wants you to come to him. So keep appealing. Uh, number two, trust. Trust. It seems like such an ethereal idea. So let me put it this way. Here's what often happens when, uh, in pain and confusion, and a lot of us are here right now, is we get hyper-focused on our pain. It's a natural reaction. Like if there's pain, our attention goes to the pain to alleviate the pain. It's kind of like uh, last November. I was playing in our our church's uh, football game. We always do it on Thanksgiving called our Turkey Bowl. We're playing, and my brother-in-law and and Hayden, one of the worship pastors, jerks, put me on my back and, and hurt my shoulder. So for a week, a lot of my attention was going to my shoulders, just like holding it right, sleeping different. Every activity was different, like brushing my teeth was, was, was different because I was giving attention to my pain. That's natural, even healthy to do. This is often what happens when we have an, an unfulfilled prayer request is we become hyper-focused on it. And suddenly it's very easy then for that to be all-consuming with our life. Finding that person. Can't really think about anything else except for finding that person. Hate being single or having a baby or getting healthy or becoming financially stable. Life easily becomes all about alleviating that suffering. And again, that's just our natural response to that. But what Jesus is doing here and what he wants to do in your life is he wants to pull you out of that hyper focus a bit. Still care about it, but pull you out of that hyper focus to get a bigger perspective in the midst of pain. He said, I know you're hurting right now. I know you're bothered. But can you acknowledge in your pain that life, the activity of God, is bigger than the pain you're feeling in that unfulfilled prayer request? That maybe there's more going on than this. Now, that's extremely hard. But this is when trust comes in. That's why Jesus keeps repeating, do you believe me? Do you trust me? Some of our lives, some of our prayer lives, some of our our views of God, some of our attitudes would change drastically if in our prayer we started declaring our trust with each request. God, I want this so bad. I'm hurting so much. But more than you alleviating this, more than you giving me this, I want you to know I trust you. I don't get it. I don't get why I'm going through this. I don't get why I'm hurting right now. It's hard for me not to be frustrated, but I trust you. I trust you. That is special, and that can be a game changer when it comes to your prayer life and your spiritual walk. So trust, and third, so appeal, trust, and then obey. You think about this text. The, the disciples, they didn't want to go down south into dangerous territory. But Jesus made them obey, and then their obedience brought them to a story that everybody's still talking about. Or even more than that, Jesus asked the people to roll away the stone, even though they didn't want to. It's going to smell. Also, once we move the stone away, we're going to see the dead guy. We're going to relive all that pain again. We don't want to roll the stone away. Plus, Jesus could have rolled the stone away himself, couldn't he? He did later on with his own grave. Jesus can roll the stone away. Why is he asking them to do it? Because he's asking for obedience, and he is with you. Can you obey in the pain? See, another thing we do when, when there's pain or there's confusion, we have an unfulfilled prayer request, is, and we're all guilty of this, is uh, when we're hurting or when we're confused, we easily give ourselves passes. Ah, I know I shouldn't do this, but like, ah, look what I'm going through. You know, I, know I, should, I know I shouldn't have said that. I know I should do that, but look what I'm dealing with. I mean, we heal this all the time. You know, I know I shouldn't treat my spouse that way, but gosh, look who I'm married to. I know I shouldn't be with them. I know I shouldn't have that attitude. I know I shouldn't be looking at that. I know I should serve. I know I should be doing that. But come on, like, look at my pain. Look what I'm going through. It's like, okay, isn't that when obedience really matters, though? To take that next step in the hurt? To do, to do the difficult when it doesn't make sense? Isn't that when obedience really matters? Jesus wanted obedience. Roll the stone away. He could have done it himself. He wanted them to do it. And their obedience didn't raise Lazarus. That was all God. But their obedience rolled away the stone to see the work of God behind the stone. See, our obedience gives us a glimpse into the activity of God. When we obey, it often gives us this glimpse into what God is doing. But when we give ourselves a pass and we disobey we are then blinded to the work of God, what God is doing. Had they have disobeyed Jesus and not rolled away the stone, they wouldn't have saw. And that plays out in our lives as well. So easy to make excuses. And when we do, we miss moving the stone to see what God is doing. So, find yourself hurting, confused, unfulfilled prayer request, frustrated with God. Feeling like he's distant. Keep appealing. Trust. Take that invitation to a bigger perspective. And obey. And the next time, the next time you find yourself wrestling with that unanswered prayer, remember the cross. After Jesus' appeal to skip the cross, God said no. Unfulfilled request. Jesus hung on the cross He could have done something. He could have escaped it all. God could have answered his request and pulled Jesus out. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad God had a different plan. I'm glad he went through the pain. I'm glad that God delayed and then walked out of his grave. And someone who would do that for me someone who would have that kind of vision, someone who would have that big of a perspective, someone who would go through the pain for me, I guess I can trust him calling the shots, even when they don't make sense to my fallen mind. The following Jesus will have unfulfilled requests. It is what it is. There's pain and there's confusion and there's loss. But despite that, can we have enough faith to keep trusting and walking in obedience? Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings.